0: Inner Voice. A heartfelt chat with Dr. Fujian. Eliminate
1: stress, reduce anxiety, and decrease depression with the Fujian app. Dr. Fujian Zane's awareness integration theory has helped thousands like you get incredible
0: life changing results. Download the Fujian app today. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Inner Voice Podcast so great to be with you today. I'm Dr. Fujian Zeng. I'm a psychotherapist, author, and the originator of the awareness integration theory. Our heartfelt chat is about what matters most in our lives. Our minds, our thoughts, feelings, actions, relationships, and our fulfillment in this beautiful journey of life. For all of you beautiful souls that are constantly asking me about the latest book, well, here they are. The latest book that are out there actually the oldest than the latest the first one was life reset uh the awareness integration path to finding the love that you want the life that you want and co-create um this is um a book that is self-help it has the whole journey in so many different areas for you and um you can go ahead and read and enjoy the stories and how to do this process and um journal in different areas of life and we've been i've been teaching this book in cal state long beach and um we've um, created astonishing results of people reducing their anxiety some of their depressive um, episodes and and symptomology raising their self-esteem and self-efficacy so if you are someone who can really work with a book and love it and um you know you can enjoy it life reset is for you for all of you therapists and coaches out there the book, Awareness Integration Therapy, Clear the Past and um, Create an Amazing Future um, and um, Live Here Today in a Fulfilled Life is for you for the, who you are going to learn about the Amer- uh, awareness integration theory and want to um, conduct it and utilize it in your therapy sessions and coach sessions. <clears throat> and we have um, certification programs. So call me and let me know so I can get you into the certification program where you as a certified awareness integration therapist or a coach, you can be on um, awarenessintegration.com. You can be on fujang.com or the app is, um, is going to need you to be also working with people. And the third one is international, intentional, not international, but also international, the parenting. But the book is called Intentional Parenting. And it's uh, with two of my amazing colleagues, um, Nicole, Dr. Nicole Jafari, and Dr. Eileen Manoukian. We go through every single stage of life in a sense from infancy all the way to adulthood and give you um, great tools in how to work with children for all the parents, all the teachers who are out there, grandparents who are working with kids. All of you can really benefit from that um, going through stages of life with your children all the way to their becoming a grown-up and you could utilize awareness integration with them and for them. In this episode, I am excited to be able to chat with Dr. Jahan Khamsazadeh. He completed his dissertation on psychedelics in the philosophy, cosmology, and consciousness program of the California Institute for Integral Studies. His book, the one we're gonna be talking about today, Psilocybin Connection, The Psychedelics, the Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet, an Integral Approach. It was published in 2022, and he earned his master's in consciousness and transformative studies from J.F. Kennedy University, and his bachelor's from University of Arizona with a major in philosophy and minor in physics, psychology, and mathematics. Aside from his academic work, he's gone undergone several major trainings, including graduating from the Tuyo Hakomi somatic psychotherapy program and training for years with mastic mushroom tradition and he assisted psychedelic assisted psychotherapy certification training at ciis for two years and mentored at the center for consciousness medicine he is currently a content advisor at the synthesis psychedelic guide training and works as a facilitator for legal psilocybin mushroom ceremonies in jamaica with admin retreats you can reach him at uh, psychedelicevolution.org, um the conversation about psychedelic the benefits of the um the cause um the uh, maybe misuse all of those conversations are a great conversations to have with dr hamza Zadeh. Um, and um his book it's a different view a transpersonal view and an integral um, integral an integrational view of how Um, you know the human being and earth and vegetation all of them have supported each other for so long and um, breaking some of the myths that we have subscribe to my podcast my youtube channel connect with me through my website fujonzain.com or any of my social media I love to hear from you so um, I look forward to hearing from you without further ado here's Dr. Jahan Hamza
1: Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, and decrease depression. Dr. Fujian Zane's awareness integration theory has helped thousands like you get incredible life changing results. The Fujian app gives you her evidence based treatment in the palm of your hand. Download today.
0: Well, hello, Jahan Khamsezadeh. It is so nice to have you on the show.
1: Thank you, Fujian. It's a pleasure to be here.
0: Now, we're going to talk about your book, The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, The Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet. Now, this is a hot topic uh, for the past, um, let's say, about 10 years. It has become a hot topic again. Obviously, it was a purely a hot topic in the 1960s. Mm-hmm. And in your book, you do go through the history of, um, you know, what the movement was, um, what happened to it, why was it a stop, but now it's like a whole different era of of research, it's an era of interest um, that has been sprung upon around um, psilocybin. And you have a, this was your dissertation that then, you know, obviously turned into a book, but it's. As I was going over your book, it you also come from a whole different perspective, which is the name of your book, is the evolution of the planet. And it's really interesting. And I really love to hear about that.
1: Thanks. Well, <clears throat> I had a huge life-changing experience with psilocybin at 18 that showed me like its power and potency. And Ended up since then doing a lot of research on it. And I felt like it really filled in so much the missing components of our evolutionary history and how we got here. The idea, first put forward by Terrence Dennis McKenna, was that there's probably consciousness expanding compounds in the environment where humanity evolved that expanded our sense of creativity, empathy, cognition, uh, of time, you know, of all areas of our awareness. And we know now there's over 200 different species of psilocybin mushrooms all around the world and every continent but Antarctica. It was there in the African savannas. There's archaeological evidence in Africa showing mushroom use, but we see mushroom use all around the world, including over the Americas in the few thousand years. And so as I kept doing the research, all the pieces kept coming together to really support this theory. And in 20 years of interest in this idea, I haven't come across a single contradiction. You know, I had to defend this in front of a committee, and the book's been out there, you know, um, since April of last year, and there's been no retort. Um, and as the neuroscience keeps pointing out, it keeps getting stronger and stronger. We know now that psilocybin stimulates neurogenesis, the growth of new neurons, the brain physically begins to grow. 65% of people have a mystical experience. So it's even the idea that psilocybin might have been the catalyst for religious experiences itself. So the more I kept doing the research, just the more fleshed out this idea started to become.
0: Mm -hmm. So as you put it into the evolution of the planet, you're also looking at uh, like the connection of different um, uh, human being around the world. It's obviously also mushrooms. uh, um, In one of the uh, programs I was watching is that the mushrooms underneath the earth are all connecting to each other. And you're um, also, you're, Hypothesis is not only they were connecting uh, under the earth, they were somehow through the vegetation, connecting human beings around the world together and bringing information from one sect to the other. Is that what I'm hearing from you?
1: That's right. You know, to really understand this, I had to see this in an evolutionary ecological perspective. You know, I think we've had a very limited view on evolution. Um, for example, the one that's been dominant is uh that of competition or survival of the fittest, which is people or beings within a specific species competing. But the truth is we're more uh, affected by the entire environment and all the organisms. So there's this other idea of evolution that's gaining a lot of theory called symbiogenesis, that it's a coming together of different organisms that creates new beings. So you can see many animals evolve to get different sources of food or to get away from predators and so on. And so the idea is that we evolved because of our diet that there was a certain substance in the environment. And when we see what psilocybin is, it's just a compound coming, we find it in a mushroom, which is the fruit of a larger body called mycelium. Mycelium is this large underground network, sometimes stretching for miles that connects all the root systems in the environment. A uh, fungi is uh, 2.5 billion years old. Animals are 500 million. So it's about five times older. And we've always been evolving on top of this living web, connecting information, you know, and out of this ecological structure came to this psilocybin that fits into the 5-HT2A serotonin receptor better than serotonin in itself, creating a hyper-connected brain state with no biotoxicity. So it's one of the ways it seems to be that the environment is communicating and talking to the organisms within it.
0: So in, obviously you've had a lot of your own experiences and you've done a lot of research around um, psilocybin. Um, when the experience is there, it seems like there's a connection that create, gets created within and also with all. Uh, it's not even without, but it's with all. Um, there's a sense mm-hmm. of connection. There's a sense of oneness. Uh, there's a mm-hmm. sense of opening your world and then also internally kind of like getting connected with all of the less than lost selves and you know the areas of you, whether they were done with it because of trauma or they were held back because you chose, because they weren't accepted by the society. So you needed to hold back those areas of yourself. And it seems like um, the research is showing that it's connecting the different parts of the brain together. So you're getting access to all parts of you that are, uh, that are there um, and maybe hidden for a while. Um, So they've done a lot of work with PTSD, they've they've done a lot of work with uh, depression, anxiety, obsessive compulsive disorders, and also uh, addiction, where addiction is also sometimes you look at it as split self, and um, many, uh, the psychedelic has been able in research to show that people have been able to connect and let go and release and, um, you know, uh, go through recovery of um addiction whether it was opioids or stimulants um what are your experiences in um two layers one is that obviously the therapeutic aspect of it which is gaining more momentum in research and then um you know um entertaining use or let's say or self-growth use that has been happening uh around the world now
1: Yeah, definitely. I think one in the same, the self-growth and the healing. And I think you're getting to the the root of the actual healing itself is this deep sense of connection. You know, I'd argue that almost all of our emotional difficulties and uh, psychological problems, including that addiction, come from a sense of disconnection with ourselves, the environment, other people. You know, a lot of research shows that the antidote to addiction is connection we weren't getting enough connection so we start to retreat away and move into substances and the whole kind of shame spiral starts to hit which creates more disconnection between self and so psilocybin as i mentioned creates this hyper connected brain state connects all of you and so there's a sense of unity people feel not just with themselves but with everything and so a lot of us grew up feeling fractured from society or from the planet or from the divine and all those fractures begin to heal or we have fracturedness between ourselves. Where we have a lot of repressed memories and repressed emotions, you know. So all those dislocated part of us come up to be integrated. And so I, what I've seen, because I do, I've been doing this work legally in Jamaica for many years. I'll be going out, back out next month. That people tend to primarily come in for the healing parts, meaning they're in pain, and that's what's motivating them to come. But they keep coming back for the growth. Their life starts to get tremendously better and really improve. And even when they come to be very healthy beings. They keep coming back because they're excited about the positive changes they start making in their lives.
0: So, how do you uh, see the healing happening as they come in um, to the process of the psilocybin? So, if you could share with our audience what is it that they can actually expect, although everybody's journey would be different, but what is it that people can expect from going to uh, toward a journey and then? Um, how, what is the safest way that if someone wanted to actually uh, experience the experience, should they go into research facilities such as John Hopkins or, you know, MAP or uh, Berkeley Institute and that's what they need to do? Or is it the other ways of creating kind of like safety where they can trust and how can they assess in order to trust, uh, let's say, a setting or where they can actually go through this experience?
1: Yeah, no, thank you. You know, the way I see it is right now there's two major forms of like traumas. Like something awful happened to you throughout childhood, or there's war, there's rape repeated amount of time. And the the other kind of trauma is you lack something, like there wasn't enough safety or connection or attention when you were young. And so that being said, some people come into the journey and they might experience all this repressed pain and agony of fear because maybe they were abused or there was sexual molestation and they repressed these experiences. And so they might come in and move through pain, fear, guilt, shame, rage for hours, but then their body integrates this and they like, you know, I've seen people stop addiction overnight. Like they've been drinking every day. They realize there's a childhood trauma it's dealt with sometimes in one session and they've stopped drinking. That being said, What I found really curious is maybe about 70% of the most healing experiences wasn't plunging into the deep pain. It was actually experiencing deep love and deep sense of bliss and connection and safety and oneness. And so many people I've seen are like, I've never felt peace before, like this. Or like, I thought I knew what love meant, and now I get it. And now this gives them a new point of reference for their entire lives of how they can live, how the world can be, that they're actually healed. Most people come in feeling like they're not enough. And that's could be completely obliterated at times, and other people need more work. So it, it's both this feeling of love and safety, and then integrating the whole. And as far as best ways for people to work with it right now, you know, I first and foremost recommend working with um, a trained individual, a therapist, the guide, you know, some kind of uh, ceremonial facilitator. Uh, so that they know the territory, they've done this a lot. They can provide safety. They take care of the set and setting. Setting. Uh, the most important ingredient is that you trust them. You know, if you don't feel safe, you're not going to open up. But if you feel safe, you can go like go a lot deeper. Uh, the work's you know partly illegal, but people are still finding guides and therapists that are doing this work. We opened up the retreat center in uh, Jamaica. It's Ottoman Retreats to create a safe, legal place for this. Also work with Synthesis. They're out in the Netherlands. They have a retreat center over there. There's more and more centers are opening up. Um, in different countries, that there is either gray zones or completely white zones. And we're two years away right now from federal legalization in the United States, you know. So within two years, doctors will be able to prescribe this medicine and you take it safely in a clinic. Surprisingly, um, Australia was the first to make complete legalization of MDMA and psilocybin, that's happening July 1st. You know, they already said it. So they kind of jumped the whole lead, even though we've been working towards it for about 20 years in the US. So more and more is becoming accessible, you know? So the main places are either in a group ceremony that's more indigenous, once we want a kind of therapeutic center or recreational, you know, people sometimes go to festivals and so on where there's a lot of infrastructure to to take care of you if you have difficult psychedelic experiences.
0: And what would be some um, difficult psychedelic experiences? Like when I've I've gone to Colombia or uh, Costa Rica um, in um, ceremonial retreats for ayahuasca, um you could see a range of just people um you know laughing and having fun and really going into the love experience that you saw and to the other range of yelling screaming purging emotions um you know fumbling and um uh, and and you know uh, really experiencing the darkness and their fears um and um what are what are some of the experiences such as uh, is it is it first for example with the ayahuasca what i was watching is like the first night uh people were going through purging their fears and then the second night it was this lightness and love is this the same similar experience with psilocybin where at the beginning they go through or it could be different
1: it could be. It can goes back and forth, but th- that's the ranges. You know, like it does make sense logically. There's more of a clearing and letting go of the trauma and the difficulties and the fear that comes from a sense of disconnection and separation. is that clears, people can really open their heart. Um, but I've also seen it go the other way around. But as you're mentioning, you know, the medicines can be so healing, unparalleled. But you have to be willing to integrate the dark and the light, the whole range you know and so i've had the hardest times of my whole life on psychedelics and i've also had the best and most important parts of my life on psychedelics and so you have to be willing to face any emotion all the fears all the difficulties so it's not an easy thing to ask somebody to do to really go into all of it but that's why the safe container is is a really good place to 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 have constructed and you know this, these medicines have been—we're talking about, say, psilocybin, MDMA at certain doses, ayahuasca, LSD—they're safe. You know, we've been studying these for a very long time. Psilocybin, LSD—you know, theoretically, you have to take a thousand doses to kill yourself. You know, so that's not going to happen. But there is the potential of psychological trauma if you're feeling not safe and it's not held. If if you're going through a terror experience and then somebody's not holding you or you're feeling abandonment you know, we're dealing with childhood wounds and the person drops you, you might feel the abandonment worse, you know? So this is where the therapeutic relationship between the guide, the therapist, or the shaman and the participants really important.
0: Have you noticed that, um, is, is it more healing when it happens in a group setting or is it more um, healing when it happens, for example, on an individual setting, but with a trained like therapist or a shaman?
1: You know, they speak to different needs that we have um yeah i've been grateful to seeing hundreds of people undergo these experiences and you know if i just look at the specific uh, work we've been doing in jamaica because we do it with 12 people at a time you know most people come in for the medicine like they're they're in pain they've been they have cancer a child's died they've been depressed for 20 years and so what we noticed within the first uh, retreat which you know was, it's pretty apparent is secondary to the psilocybin itself the next best medicine that was there was the group experience almost all of us have some kind of wounding around belonging a community all of us have some kind of wounding with our family system and so this heals that people's boundaries dissolve, their heart opens everybody else is doing the same thing they share something really beautiful and special together you know we've seen after years a lot of these people form relationships and keep in touch and start you know forming like their cohorts and so this sense of deep connection is what's healing, whether it's through the medicine or in community. You know, that being said, if somebody's working with a really high level deep trauma, you know that they're hard time to integrate. It's best to have that one to one attention. You know, the group ceremony may not be the best. One, if the person's going through a lot of pain and fear and crying and yelling, it distracts the rest of the group. So you have to be a little bit more contained. And well, in this group setting, you know we take it very seriously. There's one facilitator for every four individuals. So there's a lot of time and attention. But that's not same as one to one, where I, you know, somebody sits next to the person for seven hours and really attunes and tracks every one of their movements and is completely there and available for anything that comes up. It's a, a, such a specialized care. So I think it depends on the severity of the trauma people are working with and how will you could take higher doses one to one. You know, you can go in a lot further because somebody's really there to take care of you.
0: Everyone, The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, the Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet. It's an integral approach. It's a great, great book by Dr. Jahan Khamzazade. Um Jahan, what is, um, as you, what enticed you personally to uh, go into the practice, let's say first experimentation and then the practice where you wanted to do your dissertation on this, and now you know you're really leading uh, resorts and 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 um, retreats and and really supporting. What is it about this methodology of the psychedelic which is different, for example, than regular psychotherapy or uh, healing methodologies that have been there before? Yes.
1: So I mean, I, I love therapy, you know, been studying it for ten years, been in it myself for that long, been in interest for twenty. Um, and what I've seen is talking only goes so deep because this is, we're talking about it's stuck in the person's unconscious in their body. Also, the two years of training somatic psychotherapy, which is working directly with the body and getting the emotions out. And which I think goes much deeper in tantric practices that work with sexual energy and so on, but this really helps open up their entire center of consciousness and identity, which unlocks all this repressed material. You know, I've seen so many people come in and they're like, "I didn't get this deep within twenty years of psychotherapy that I got today," and I've experienced that myself. I've had journey experiences where I never would have gotten this level of healing. So, you know. If I look at just the plant medicines, we're we're creating a deeper relationship with nature. It's nature that's healing us. You know, we tend to look at these just as drugs. I'm like, these have been around for millions of years, you know, and they've been used by indigenous societies around the world for millennia, and that's at the beginning of, of humanity itself. Um yeah, so I, I think it just gets to the core of, of of the root of things. It's like you're giving a medicine. So Stan Groff, one of the best researchers in the field, he's worked in the area for 50 years. He says they catalyze holotropic states of consciousness, states that organically self-organize into healing. So given the right kind of dose, the material tends to bubble up on itself so we can see specifically what needs to be dealt with.
0: Now let's switch it to the other side of it. For everybody, not only that are skeptics, but also um, you know, to be safe. So this medicine might not be um this plant might not be for everyone. So in the rise the same way that when a marijuana became legal, we saw a rise in, um, you know, um, paranoia and sometimes schizophrenia. Uh, The past year, we've seen a lot more because a lot more people have had access to it. And, you know, culturally, uh, it shifted the idea about it. So um, obviously people who at one point might have been, fearful or not taking it or they didn't want to pay the consequences now without necessarily having an assessment or having to see whether they had different um, genetic um, maybe illnesses in their family um, they started trying out and even with the first um, maybe try with marijuana you know they became psychotic and um, uh, kind of stayed like it opened up that genetic factor what are what would your suggestions be for people who um you know how can they assess whether this is the right plant for them or not or what would you know where can they go to create those assessments um or what is it that they need to watch uh, to see if any of these um psychedelics would be the appropriate um you know medicine for them or appropriate healing modality uh, versus putting themselves in a position that unfortunately might have. And I'm not just talking about one bad trip. I'm talking about actually uh, creating a lifetime issues for themselves. Totally.
1: You know, my genuine answer is, as far as I can tell, if I just look at psilocybin, it might be the right medicine for everybody, just not the right medicine for everybody at any given moment. You know, we need to be in a very stable place. It can be very destabilizing. A lot of pain and fear and trauma can it can be very confusing. You need to have a good support structure, you know. And, and as we mentioned, the, the container is probably the most important. And so there's specific cases where I don't think we have the containers for it yet. So we're dealing with somebody with schizophrenia or borderline, you know, or or people that just their mood swings with the bipolar is just too large. Um I think it can possibly. Of course, there hasn't been research on them, but it can. I think it can eventually help them heal because it, it creates a sense of wholeness and feels the fractured part of themselves and lets go of the fear that's there. Like so, example, like with paranoid schizophrenia, people feel the universe is always talking to them, but it's coming out of fear, so they're constantly scared. I think that can heal. You know, same with the the. I think the bipolar, the borderline uh, stuff around abandonment, attachment. I think it can help heal. But they would need an entire team. Those are just hard special cases, and 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 like a facility they could stay at for a week, you know. Um, and we're we're not there, you know. First, we need legalization to happen. We need people trained in those very specific personality, like, say, disorders and types that can really attune to them, and that they have a doctor on board, a lot of people caring for all their needs. And so, I think eventually we can get there. Um. So I think if people have been diagnosed with. Specifically, those two personality disorders come to mind: either um, uh, borderline or schizophrenia. I'd be, I'd stay away because it can make things a lot, lot, lot harder. Um, you know, and and there's other routes. There's like microdosing that seems to be almost nothing when it comes to harm. We haven't seen anything yet, and it's building a small relationship with the medicine, and it still creates a, the growth of new brain cells, and people report feeling more patient, more ease, more at safe. Ten percent of people do uh, see a small spike in anxiety, but it's negligible. Okay, I'm like maybe you took it and you you felt anxious for three hours. It's not that big of a deal. Maybe don't do it right now. You know?
0: And I've, I've heard that more with MDMA, right? I haven't necessarily heard higher anxiety with psilocybin, though, in research.
1: Yes, you can get all that. I mean, I've taken psilocybin and microdosing on anxiety, and a few other people have, including with L. So James Fadiman has been the lead researcher in this area, and he kind of really kind of coined the term. And he's, uh, you know, he's done a questionnaire with about 1,500 people, and about 10% reported um, a small increase in anxiety, while 90% in, like reported improvements, including um, the lessening of anxiety. So there's no medicine. What I have found is there's no medicine that's 100% effective for everybody. You know, if we look at just the clinical trials with psilocybin, it's 80% effective for treatment-resistant depression—people that no other medication has worked for. 80% effective for nicotine, 80% for alcohol. Um, helps with near end of life anxiety, right? So, so, so many things. But, but those clinical trials are getting an 80%. But it's 80% for a very hard group. of Other things they haven't worked for. So, I mean, I've given the medicine to people. You can see in Jamaica, where you can give them a large amount and like nothing happens. And it's still a conundrum of, wow, I just gave you, you know, 10 grams of mushrooms and you're not feeling anything. Okay, right? So th- that exists. Um, and so that might not be the right medicine for them maybe ever or maybe not right now. Maybe they need to do some other kind of work or they need to do it repeatedly. Their system system's so closed down that they're kind of numb to the sense of self and their experience. And it's okay to, you know, if it doesn't work the very first time. Mm-hmm. So as long as things are done really safely, I think it's okay to keep trying because it's it could it could it's non toxic by its essence.
0: So one of the things I'm hearing from you is if, um, and I'm adding I, I guess this part, okay. which is if you have um, um, an illness in your family system, if you are an adult and have watched yourself go from uh, one extreme to another in mood disorders. That maybe your path should be, if you want to try this, to actually try it with facilities who are um, known and they're uh, well um, suited for research and they have a team that can be there for you and they can look at all of those aspects instead of going to retreats and, and places that are more for self growth and they're not necessarily set up to handle mental illnesses, they're just set up for uh, personal growth and you're saying if in any format that you have been diagnosed with any type of a mental condition maybe you also in order to protect yourself is go to the facilities that are more medical oriented and are at this point they're still doing research because because of the legality issue we don't have medical facilities at this point or just doing I mean, we do have ketamine clinics, but we don't have psilocybin clinics at this point, or ayahuasca clinics. The only places that are um, monitoring and doing it in um, in a closed radar are still places such as John Hopkins and MAP and Berkeley Institute and some of these institutes, integrals to do that. I think you came from. So I uh, so it. I guess this is what I'm really wanting the, for the, our audience to hear that you do, you are responsible to take care of yourself, That although, uh, you know, these are plans that have been there for many, many years, and we're finding that they're helping a lot of people, but you're ultimately still responsible to make a choice to see whether this is for you or not. And if this is, you think that you want to try it and you've had mental illness diagnosis within yourself or family, please, please uh, attempt to first go to some of these research uh, institutes. But if that's not the case, and you want to try it, then as you were saying, um, uh, Jahan, where they could go into retreats and places where they can trust that they get that there is a safe setting for them. And, um, you know, they can interview and see if this is a place they can feel and, um, you know, maybe they've uh, had other friends to go. For example, I've had I remember um, many, many, many people had talked to me about whether places to go. And um, I finally went to uh, this two shamans because I'm actually one of my clients who actually went there. And just the way you said, I had been working with this client for about a year and a lot of these pieces that we were working, she uh, decided to go to um, uh, one of the ayahuasca retreats and came back and it felt like everything we had worked on suddenly integrated. And it was it was almost like a natural part of her. You know how like you learn new things and then you keep vacillating, you go um, consciously, you do all of these new um, ideas and behaviors, but then your subconscious kind of like takes you back. And you know how we say like two, two steps forward and one step back. After her experience, everything we had worked on it was like now a natural setting like it was like effortless it was just is and that's how I saw the experience and then I decided to um, go to uh, Colombia and then you and, and very much my experience was I had never experienced this type of love Ever. I mean, I was loved with the walls. I was loved
1: with every mm-hmm.
0: essence of, of air that I've never experienced before. And I can mm-hmm. say pretty clearly that if I for my whole life had a low grade dysthymia, that if if I if with any type of upset, that I would go really deep and then I had to like crawl myself back up. And obviously years of years of me doing therapy and you know self-growth. It was still like, you know, um, I could be there any minute again. Like I'm holding (laughs) myself up, but I can, you know, could go back. Um, That has never come back again. It's like it just elevated, um, elevated it to the different level where my baseline was always low grade depression and holding my head up high. It shifted the baseline up. And it just doesn't go there anymore. So um, that has been my experience. Mine has been with ayahuasca, not psilocybin. But Mm I see, and I talk to a lot of people now we are doing research, I'm presenting on it. And obviously when, um, such as yours, you know, you do research in books, I have a lot of conversation and... um, in the world of psychiatry um, obviously we have a lot of people who are afraid same thing would happen again with marijuana it's been there for many years however we see a spike of um you know um, paranoia and schizophrenia suddenly so obviously you can see with the world of psychiatry there's a little bit of worry about um a fad taking on And i think probably this was the worry in 1960s um <laughs> uh, but It's more like, how can you educate people? That's why I'm taking this on, which is how can we educate people where they can be responsible in where they go, how they do it, and uh, how they can go to people to get integrated, even if they went somewhere and came back. Um, If they're feeling uneasy, how could they go now to people who are uh, trained to at least get integrated, um, everything that they experience into their system? What are your thoughts about what I just said?
1: Yeah, totally. I think the education part is probably the first and foremost important part right now, I think, happening within the movement. And others are like accessibility and having, you know, whether it's to the medicine or accessibility to train facilit- people, so it's done safely. But, you know, the concern people might have of like, oh, my God, are they're legal or decriminalized and everybody's going to be running down the streets taking psilocybin, when when it's unfounded, that's not what's going to happen. But what we do need is an increase of education because people should educate themselves very well before taking these. They're very potent medicines, you know. So, so throughout indigenous societies and in human history, they've been seen as medicines and only within a spiritual context. And they're done with elders there and it's passed down a family line. And it's just like you're it's a community bonding. It's it's very sacred, you know, a lot of prayers involved. And we kind of lacked those contexts um during the 1960s. So you know, Michael Pollan in his book um, How to Change Your Mind, the bestseller, he says, at what other point in human history did the youth have a, such a searing rite of passage that the prior generation didn't understand? So you know, we thought these were fun toys and drugs, and we you know the, what we had to kind of compare it to was like alcohol, and so people were just taking them all the time and having explosive experiences, and uh, you know, the older generation got really scared and angry. The government got concerned and kind of used it to attack. And so, what we need to change largely is the stigma and that happens through education. You know, we have to see like there's solid science for decades now around this. There's worldwide use with many different societies that have been using them for a long time. Um, if done right, they could cr- help create a, a healthy society. You know, ours is really, I think most people would agree, really out of balance. And it helps create balance within the system and argues between the environment. And so, you know, Even this idea of like people might have this fear of legalization. Well, what's actually far more harmful is somebody being put in jail. (laughs) For these substances, you're scared of somebody having a traumatic experience, putting them in jail for five years. It's hard to even equate that level of trauma people go through to they took mushrooms by themselves. You know, so we need to get rid of like the harm that society is right now imposing on it. And I think most of it just comes from out of miseducation and misrepresentation of these medicines because they are so mysterious by their nature.
0: Uh, some of the fears about accessibility that um, this is pretty accessible at this point on on every level um so if people are afraid that by legalization there's going to be more accessibility it's pretty accessible so there's no need for that to be worried it's all over the place anyway um so it's just a matter of what you said which is uh there's a fear of um well there is the truth that when something is illegal people are tend not to go i remember with the legalization um, although I, I voted for it and i believe in it that you know people should be responsible and they don't have to be jailed and uh, uh. but i did get to be honest with you jahan for many 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 people who because it was illegal that they would not um risk the concepts of maybe like their Uh, careers or uh, any issue that had to do with it. Like they didn't want to have the after effect consequences. So it kind of held them from that. And the minute that, you know, it got legalized, I had seen people who um, uh, pretty much would have never used. Now they were more like, oh, let me check. And unfortunately, actually one of my uh, dear, dear, dear friends who was high uh, level um, CEO, unfortunately, they did have that genetic disposition. And because they started using and enjoying it and went into daily use, that they went completely psychotic and um, untreatable. Um, yeah, I untreated the psychosis and just refused to get, uh, you know, get to, to treatment. So you could see that it does open that path. And I think seeing what's going on, where it was, you know, it was alcohol and usage of alcohol and Xanax together or driving where people came in and said, no, alcohol is free, but you can't drive on it because now you're getting other people on set. Um, or the concept of education that needs to happen, for example, with marijuana, since it is everywhere, not legally, federally, but in many states, I do believe that, we, um, that education about this different types of psychedelics is very, very important. Um, And so thank you for taking this on and putting it in a book and bringing it out and educating people um, about what can be. And if they wanted to use this on a safe place, which they are responsible for their own safety, how to pick and choose where they need to go, when they need to do this, how to gain the support and how to maybe even uh, create a setup where uh, they have a system to support them after, you know, their experience where they're not like, you know, left without a support afterward.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I think it's great for people. There's so many people, you can find them online that they're already trained in um as... Uh, psychedelic integration kind of coaches or psychedelic integration therapists. So a lot of people have already gotten different levels of trainings. So they can't administer the medicine, but if you go to an ayahuasca ceremony or have psilocybin somewhere, you can already set it up for several weeks afterwards or checking in with a trained person to help you integrate the experience. It's there to keep you in check and kind of keep you stable and and also motivate you to make the changes, you know? Um, so that's, that's more and more becoming available. Um, yeah. You know, so I want people at least to be able to make their own decisions around this, you know, instead of being stripped. And one of our big thinkings um, to do with this legally in Jamaica was we know there's maybe half the population doesn't want to do things that are legal, whether it's a moral issue they think it's actually bad or they're scared they're not going to. So we wanted to create a space for that population. They just fly out and we could do it completely legally. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's so sad that people might lose the opportunity to have what. You know, what we found in the clinical studies after 20 years, about a one-third of the people say that single experience was one of the most important in their entire lives. It's huge. It's huge. You don't want to take that opportunity away from people. The, most people I'm sitting in deep pain, regret, or they haven't experienced real love before. I think it's, you know, you know so… Yeah, Terence McKenna, probably my favorite philosopher. He's uh, worked in the field of psychedelics for a long time. He he puts it up there as a foundational element of the human experience. You know, along there with like having sex, if you want to have kids, all these experiences. This is up there. You know, it's experience of like, wow, I know my true nature. I know who I am. I finally feel free. I've I've been in a mental construct prison around my shame my whole life. Like they deserve to be free, and so it's a there are opportunities for some harm. Like people, it's about 1% of the population have, I think have a predisposition possibly to schizophrenia and normally shows up with their teens, early 20s. So yeah, let's be cautious. you know. But for the other large amount of humanities, we don't want to strip this away from them. So, so again, I think we're moving at the pace of safety. That's why it's going so slow in the federal trials. It's around the corner. Um, I'm about to fly out to um, Wisconsin next month to go visit the USONA facility. They're one of the leading research companies for psilocybin. They're they're pushing, They're pushing. on the third round of FDA trial. So they're going to be one of the first two companies to bring legalization. And I'm glad I was hired as a consultant to go look at the space because they're trying to engineer design. What can ceremony rooms look like? You know, like next level of we bringing in high level lighting with the architecture, with the sound system and everything. A lot of the journey is internal, but if it's filled with light and beauty in the space, would that also enhance to the aesthetics and sacredness, you know? So I think there's going to be ways of space holding that we still can't see, that still hasn't been available because uh, legalization legalization has been restricted.
0: The Psilocybin Connection, Psychedelics, the Transformation of Consciousness and Evolution of the Planet. It's an integral approach. It's a book by Dr. Jahan Kamsa um anything we haven't shared that you really want people to
1: know yeah people check out my website psychedelicevolution.org the book's on all the platforms um it's also on the kindle and audiobook format and audible so it's uh it was, it was a lot big it took like five years of work so i'm really proud of it and happy that it's getting out there
0: beautiful thank you so much for taking the time to be with me and my audience thank
1: you it's not, it was such an honor to be here
0: For all of you who are out there, create an amazing life for yourself and everyone around you. And until next time, take care of yourself.
1: Eliminate stress, reduce anxiety, and decrease depression. Dr. Fujian Zane's Awareness Integration Theory has helped thousands like you get incredible life-changing results. The Fujian app gives you her evidence-based treatment in the palm of your hand.
0: Download today.